Our two readings tonight come from Psalm 100 and from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and Ray will read that for us. Thank you, Ray. A psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And from Chronicles. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is the word of the Lord. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into our hearts this evening, that you would minister to us in a way that makes sense to us, that we'd be challenged that we would allow you to lead us to greater faithfulness. May it be your words that are spoken and may it be your voice we hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, be honest. Has it ever rolled around to like five o'clock on a Sunday evening and you thought to yourself, man, I really don't feel like going to church tonight. Has anyone ever thought that? No, of course not. No one here has ever thought such a thing. You've never looked at the beautiful weather and thought, you know, the basin would be just the perfect place to be in this moment. Do I have to go to church this evening? And the very next thought, I don't know if you've noticed this, the very next thought is always this, I wonder who's preaching tonight? <laughs> And that's usually when Debbie says, you are now, get off the couch and go. <laughs> I am sure that all of us at some point have felt, if you think it's bad for the evening, you should try that 7.30 service in the morning. That's a whole nother story. I'm sure that all of us have at some point felt that way. I know I certainly have. And it happened to me actually once on one of the major, major um, Christian days. It happened to me on a Christmas day once uh, a couple of years ago, but I'll get to that in a minute. There are moments for all of us when doing what we know to be the good and godly and the right thing to do is tough. And we find ourselves hesitating or struggling, sometimes even failing to do what we know we should be doing and what we know God wants us to do. It happens with something like church, where as I said, we know we should be coming to worship, we just don't feel like doing it. But it's not just worship. 
There are times when we know we should be praying or times when we really know we should be reading our Bible more and we can struggle with those things too. Times when we know that God is maybe asking us to serve Him or to do something for Him. And we find all sorts of reasons why we can't. There are times when we know God is asking us to give more willingly of our money, but we do so grudgingly or maybe even not at all. Times when we know God is calling us to be in fellowship with somebody or with a group of people or to be at some church function or a course that the church runs and we just, it's a difficult thing and we decide that something else can take preference over that fellowship. It happens to all of us. Which is why I always like to do a service at the beginning of the year or near the beginning of the year called a covenant service. Because it's an opportunity we have to really renew our, our covenant with God, to renew our commitment to Him, to, to offer ourselves and say, this year I'm recommitting myself, I'm dedicating myself to a faithful Christian life, to living the way God calls me to live. The covenant we say begins with the words, I am no longer my own but yours. I belong to you. I want this life to reflect your glory. I want to be faithful in all that I do. I want this year to be a year in which my Christianity grows and is, is challenged and, and, uh, and in which I become more and more the person Christ calls me to be. And I like to do it at the start of the year because it's an opportune moment to commit to that when that sense of newness is around us. If you've read your news and notes, you'll see that this year our covenant service will be on the, the 3rd of March, so mark that down in your diaries. It's a very special service and one not to be missed. But as we prepare for that service, we're going to journey each week with what it means to be a person committed to God, a journey that will prepare us for that covenant so that when we come to saying those words, it's not just a reciting of, of some beautiful prayer that somebody has written. But it'll be a time where we have looked at the main aspects of Christianity, where we have uh, had a, a bit of a clearer picture of what we are promising to do and how we can fulfill those promises. And tonight I want to look at this aspect of worship. Worship is a, is an, a part of Christianity that has suffered greatly as a result of the consumer-orientated culture that we live in. We live in a world where Everything is geared towards our instant satisfaction. Everything is geared towards making you happy. We demand the, the best service in shops and if we go to restaurants. We are supremely aware of our customer rights. We don't like to wait in queues for anything. Our senses are continually bombarded with adverts of pleasing sights and sounds and tastes. Everything you see out there is about making you happy. It's about fulfilling something in your life. We, uh, uh, we even passed a sign in South Africa at a big shopping center, and the sign said, I should have actually brought a uh, picture, happiness sold here, <laughs> while stocks last. <laughs> it's amazing. Everything is geared towards instant gratification. Our TVs are bigger, our shows get better and better, our internet gets faster, we can watch what we want, when we want, how we want. We can be entertained any way we want. We are absolutely spoiled for choice. I've lost track of the number of articles that I have picked up and read. The 10 best things to do in Bundaberg. Have you ever read those articles? 
or 20 things to do in the wide bay or whatever it is. And there's so much more that's out there just wanting to satisfy us. And if something doesn't please us, if something doesn't make the grade, boy, if something doesn't entertain us, the next thing we're on to social media. And we grab hold of Facebook and we let everybody know who is responsible for us not having the best day we should, that is actually deservedly ours. Now, I'm not criticizing so much as just stating the fact of how society has moved. For good or for bad, this is the way the world has gone and we live in the world. But it has created a problem for us when it comes to our Christian commitment and most specifically, our sense of what it means to worship God. You see, we are so tuned into this way of life now, without even realizing it, we can often come to expect the exact same gratification from our church. When we come to church, we, we like to sing the songs that we like, and we like to hear sermons that are entertaining, and we like to sit back and be uh, visually and audibly entertained and we just take it in. And there are some churches that try to work this to their advantage, and so they have the latest lights and the biggest sound systems and and uh, some of them even have a smoke machine that they put on. And what they do in worship can be like a rock concert because these churches know what people are used to in society. The problem is that there's always going to be somebody who's got better lights and a bigger speaker system and a fancier smoke machine and whose preacher wears trendier shoes and has a fancier style. The far bigger problem is this, that as we approach worship services with this kind of consumerist mindset from the society in which we live, and please don't misunderstand me, we do this subconsciously without even thinking. Uh, it's, it's almost ingrained in the way we live. But as we approach worship like that, we miss the most important and basic characteristic of what worship is. Namely, that it is not about us. Worship is about God. And worship is for God. Worship is about God, and worship is for God. There's a, a great worship team from a mega church in the United States, and they did this very funny parody of, they call it when worship goes wrong and becomes about us instead of about God. And they sing some songs that, Let's just say they sing the songs as truthfully as they possibly can, and I found the results hilarious, but they carry a serious message. Val, can you play the video for me, please? Thanks. I will sing of your love on Sundays, only sing of your love on Sundays. I will sing of your love on Sundays Then this feeling is gone by Monday I surrender some <laughs> I surrender some Jesus, I will give you little I I stand amazed at my hairdo, my stylist 
shouted herself I lift my hands and see my nails They match my eyes all so well How great is this song Sing with me How great is this song Man, I love to sing Oh yes, just to sing this song of what worship is is that it is not about us it is about God and it is for God sometimes people will say to me and I do I do love it when they say this because my answer is prepped and ready to go when somebody comes to me and says oh you know I didn't like that service very much I didn't enjoy that song very much and my answer is always the same I always say well it wasn't for you it wasn't meant for you it was meant for God. And the question then I ask is, that what I want to know is, did you give everything in that song so that God would enjoy it? So that God is blessed by it? Is this an excuse to, to offer a substandard service or skimp on the preparation? Of course not. Quite the opposite. It's a call to make worship the very best of what we can offer. Because we are aware of what we, that what we do here is about God and for God. Listen again to what Ray read for us from 1 Chronicles. Listen to the beauty of this and how there is none of self and everything of God. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among the people. 
For great is the Lord and worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. So let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Wow. How amazing is that? This great and powerful God, the God of love and wonder who gave his life for us, for whom we live, desires for us to spend this time honoring him. It's not about our entertainment or our gratification or the minister or the songs or the worship team or the light or anything else. It is about God and it is for God. There's a beautiful analogy of describing how we can sometimes get this mixed up. And if you can imagine, uh, or if I can use the metaphor of the church being like a, a, a theater where stage productions are done, if I compare it to that, and I don't know if they still have them. Uh, Megan, maybe you can tell us, do they, do they still have a thing called a prompt? Now, a prompt, that's great. A prompt is uh, somebody who kind of stands in the wings, uh, therefore when actors and actresses forget their lines or don't know where to go. And uh, the prompt will then say something that kind of, uh, well, it does, it prompts their memory. It, it jolts them back into the, the routine of what they have practiced. And if you could compare the church to uh, a theater scene, um, by and large, the way we work in society today is that the congregation would be the audience and the minister will be the one performing on the stage. And God is the prompt telling the minister what to do. So he can give a good or she can give a good production or performance to the congregation. But in reality, if worship is not about us, if worship is about God, then we need to change our fundamental understanding of what happens in that picture. It's not the congregation who is the audience of the worship service who needs to be pleased or to be satisfied. It is God who is the audience. Worship is about God and for God. It is God who is the audience. It is the congregation who is on stage, and it is the minister who is the prompt, leading the congregation, directing in the congregation, in their worship of God, for God's glory and for God's honor. So as we come to a place to worship Him as we do here, we come to do this for Him. And it's something which we should all be involved in because, as I say, it's not about something presented to you so much as it is about what we present to God. It's not about what we can get out of worship, but rather about what we can, what we can give in worship, about glorifying Him and giving ourselves to Him. It's about saying to God, in the midst of our busy lives that we lead, where we are focused for hours on end of, on the different problems we face and the issues we go through and the work that we have to do, we say to God in this moment, in this hour, this is your time. This is set aside for you. This is to declare that you are God above all else that goes on in my life. This is a moment of telling God that, that you are in the center you are in charge. I yield this life to you.
You are worthy, as the psalmist says, of all of my praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs and know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Worship places God at the center of our lives. It is worship that says this life is focused on you and on your glory because worship is about God and worship is for God. But worship also does something else. Worship draws us into God. I said at the beginning of the sermon that I didn't want to go to church on a Christmas day not so long ago, and I really didn't. It was a few years ago I took annual leave over Christmas for the very first time in my ministry. And I did it because I figured that I had maybe one or two Christmases at the most where, uh, no children, where the kids still believed in Father Christmas. That's a spoiler alert, by the way. If, uh, sorry, sorry, didn't mean to. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon I had one or two Christmases where the kids still believed in Father Christmas, and I wanted to take time off so I could really focus on them, where I wouldn't be worried about everybody else's Christmas or the services or what was going on. I could just be on leave and enjoy the magic of a child, uh, of Christmas through a child's eyes again. And so we took leave and we arranged that year to go to my brother who lived about 500 kilometers away. And, um, and I was so looking forward to a Christmas without a church service, without, well, uh, without having to worry about a church service. And then it progressed to a thought of, hey, what about no service at all? That sounds even better. And so I phoned my brother. I actually phoned him before we left. And I said, Duncan, uh, I want to ask you a favor. I said, do you mind if um, on Christmas Day we don't go to church? Because, um, you know, I'm always in church on Christmas, and I'll just end up thinking about my own church, and I'll be worrying about it, and I'll be thinking about the sermon, and uh, I'll know people there, and they want to, will want to know why I'm not in church, and so on, and it'll just be so much easier if we could do something at home. I said, I'm a minister, Dad's a minister, we can do something, a nice reading or whatever, and we can have our own little service at home. My brother said to me that he would think about it, and we left it at that. And when we got there, drove up, got to his home, he pulled me aside and he said to me, listen, I understand where you're coming from, but I have never missed a Christmas service in my entire life, and I'm not about to start doing it now. And he said, my wife and children will feel very odd and this was his words, because Christmas is first and foremostly about worshiping God. And you know those moments, I don't know if you've ever had them, but you know when a, a person is standing talking to you, but you just know it's not that person talking. You know it's God speaking through them. And that was one of those moments for me. And so I changed my attitude, and uh, we went to church. And to be honest, the sermon wasn't brilliant, and neither was the singing. But I didn't go for me. I didn't go for me. I went for God. And it's amazing that when you do that and when you honor Him and you, you, you glorify Him in that way, His grace in worship draws you to Himself. And as I listened to the sermon, not as a minister, but just as a person worshiping, there was this amazing gem 
that this minister gave out. It was just a, a one-sentence thing. I don't know how many times I've read the Christmas story, preached on the Christmas story, could pr probably tell it to you backwards. But I'd never thought about this. And this minister said, God is a God who works through slow processes. And he said, Jesus didn't come down to earth as an adult and say, here I am, let's get this crucifixion thing over with. Let's get it done and dusted. He came as a tiny baby. And we actually hardly hear a word about his life for the next 30 years. For 30 years, the slow process of God working is unfolding. And at the time, that ministered right into a situation in my life in which I felt God was particularly moving slowly. I wondered why isn't God doing what I want Him to do when I want Him to do it. And at that moment, things kind of made sense. And I cannot tell you how drawn I felt into God's presence. How something which I had been struggling with for months and months almost just made sense in an instant. And I realized that this is what worship does. It's not only about God and for God, but it draws us into God. It makes us closer to Him. True worship does that. It leaves us challenged and changed and refreshed and rejuvenated and taught and grown. James 4 verse 8 contains this, this beautiful little sentence, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. That's simple. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It connects us to God. Worship strengthens us. You know, people often say to me, oh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I suppose that's true. Just like you don't need running shoes to go for a run. But if you have them, it makes such a huge difference. It makes it so much more pleasant than running barefoot on the bitumen. You don't need them, but to have them is a beautiful thing. Worship does that. It draws us to God. Let me close with a story. Several years ago, a British weekly, uh, weekly paper printed a letter to the editor, and it said this, Dear Sir, I notice that ministers seem to set a great deal of importance on their services, and they spend a lot of their time in preparation for them, making sure that they are good and everyone gets something from them. I have been attending services quite regularly for the past 30 years, and during that time, if I estimate correctly, I have been to no less than 3,000 of them. But to my consternation, I discover that I cannot remember a single one of them. I wonder if a minister's time would be more profitably spent doing something else. Yours sincerely. And the letter triggered a, an avalanche of responses, and people were agreeing and disagreeing and fighting about it in the paper for weeks, until one letter actually closed the debate. It said, Dear Sir, I have been married for 30 years. During that time, I estimate I have eaten 32,000 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I've discovered I cannot remember the menu of a single meal, and yet I know I received nourishment from every one of them. I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death years ago. Yours sincerely. Our covenant to God is a commitment to first and foremostly worship Him. And it is a challenge for me and I pray it is a challenge for you that we make 2019 a year that we don't ever come to church because of what we can get, but we make sure we're always here because of what we can give and how we can honor God because it is about God, for God, and it draws us into God. Amen. Let us pray.
What a privilege, Lord, to come to worship you in this place. What a privilege that the God of all creation desires that we worship him. What a privilege, Lord, that you rejoice in our worship and in our praise and singing. That, as Scripture says, it becomes a sweet and fragrant offering to you. And we pray that as we prepare for our covenant, as we look to make this year a year which we are as faithful as we can be, a year in which we grow and are challenged, Lord, may you make worship something that we feel uh, drawn into. And may we come always, Lord, with an attitude of, of how we honor you and how we are drawn into your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Tonight, as we have communion,